Hi, welcome to the new recording of the UK virtual meetup of Colive. Colive is the global non-profit organization, ecosystem and do tank, whose mission is to empower the Colivian phenomenon. We do so by connecting Colivian professionals, educating the global industry and empowering the professional activities of our members. My name is Kate and I am the UK ambassador for Colive. Enjoy the episode. Um, so one of the things that, that Colive is about is collaboration. And, you know, all of this movement could not be happening without amazing people like Kate who are hosting those meetups, like Connor who is joining our team on the, on the, on the content front, and like Christian, um, because the history with Christian and Christian represents uh, Salto, he's going to tell you in a second about. But we've been collaborating like now for a year. Uh, we've hosted like three events together. Uh, we've been working on the, on the upcoming Co-Living Summit. Christian was a key point to also introduce other partners like Gilles, who is here. So um, Christian, the floor is yours. Uh, you've been like one of the people who has been like helping Co-Live a lot. And like I encourage anyone who has questions regarding technology to contact Chris. Thank you, Guy. So um, I cannot even say it better than, than Guy. Eh? So to us, community is key. And um, that was actually the reason why um, even us being, as you can see, a log manufacturer um, uh, some years ago started um, being not reactive, but proactive and turning a product into a solution and a solution into experience. And I mean, today, I mean, even if I would like to show you what Salto is about, I mean, four minutes, I, uh, not longer than that, but I just want to keep that momentum also to um, say we are really proud to be an active partner of Colif, which allows us actually to stay ahead and collaborate with you and being close to end customer experience, even if we don't sell a lock at the end of the day. Yeah? So, I mean, just a learning curve and actually the cake is big enough and um, we are happy here to, um, yeah, for that experience and to help that movement growing. So that actually is the vision and mission and for the ones who doesn't know Salto, I've just prepared three, four slides um, and um, that you know about a bit more about Salto. Eh? So um, obviously our DNA is flushed by technology. So we provide a smart lock portfolio, which can go actually on any door worldwide. Um, so today we cover 95 countries uh, with a lock portfolio, which can go Actually, and then you can consider every lock type um, in the world, but also um, any um, lock version. Eh? So it could be your padlock, could be inside doors, outside doors, um, uh, sliding doors, garage, etc., etc. So everything what actually opens the door, and that makes us um, um, taking different management platforms into consideration and partners, um, which we. Uh, integrate or they integrate us to provide a holistic solution and go beyond the classical um, access control tasks. That means um, turning that what I just called the product into a solution, but also um, talk a lot of um, if this, then that. So uh, if today I always make these examples, which uh, maybe for the living concept um, makes sense. Uh, if you leave the apartment, the elevator can be called to the same floor. So that is what we already do today. So it's just access, but it's more like access because you can combine um, several steps. Um, now, um, 
just for you, um, we do many, many verticals, basically everything which covers the door. So that could be commercial education, healthcare, hospitality, and then the working spaces or the co-markets, retail, co-living and residential, which is part of our portfolio. And then it goes cross credential type. So that means wherever you would like to open and being flexible today's out of the measures of COVID we're talking about in living concept check in in-house life and check and check out what, what is offboarding. So you would like to be flexible with uh, and reduce the touching points actually. So smart locking with um, uh, mobile key technology is um, welcomed remote opening for staff members if someone is locked out not being on site but opening a door remote and then actually if you have frequent guests who have already their own tax being a bit more uh, smart thinking about uh, how to make use of those and then last but not least um, also the pin which is another credential how you can open doors and then there are many more but these are the most um, used ones in uh, these living concepts. Chris, so, sorry, sorry, really to sorry Chris, to interrupt your uh, presentation. I have a question. Does it need batteries? So the locking, actually, um, and then we go out of the four minutes, Kate. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, I'll give you six. Okay, thank you. So um, many of these locks, um, and that's actually the advantage, are battery powered. Um, and then the second question is how long lasting is the battery? So that normally goes between the 80,000 and the 150,000 openings with one battery set. So this is a detail. But um, by having locks which are battery powered makes them A, way more easier to retrofit and for refurbishment. And you do not have to wire locks and doors anymore. So the wiring costs of today's investments would be A, more rigid and wired and um, more old-fashioned and non-flexible and um, having battery or at least standalone um, locking devices makes it a way more attractive for today's businesses overall. Hopefully that answers your question. So, yeah, so that was actually already all. Um, I wanted to give you a rough intro about four or five minutes and um, I'm here to assist and to um, help you out. I know that Giles from Restaurant is also attending this session to give a shout out. So this is one of the PMS providers who have integrated us, which at the end then makes it possible that you can have a guest management flow through your PMS, your daily uh, management uh, resources and the data is automatically feed it into our, our system with at the end that means that the guests register they pay and, uh, and they have a mobile key to open the door so this is a bit of the flow which you can consider yeah thank you that was all thanks a lot chris thanks chris one one thing also uh, that, that christian is pushing the two things uh, first, on the, tech, on the tech side, there's still a lot to be done and especially collaboration between different, different providers. So, um, and then the second thing is uh, Chris is going to lead the tech community within Colib. So any tech-related question, feel free to reach out to Chris because he's going to give you the right direction. Thank you, Chris. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye-bye. Ah, thank you very much, Chris. Um, okay, so we are going to go to our next part, which is uh, introducing our lovely speaker who is giving us 
kindly his time tonight. So I'm just going to tell you a few things about Stuart. Uh, Stuart is a forward-thinking visioner and also an award-winning property developer. He's a serial entrepreneur with a passion for tech and innovation. And obviously, he's also a speaker. Um, he won a few property awards for his work to pioneer change in the property market. And he will tell you a bit more about it tonight as well. Uh, an interesting thing is that before property, though, Stuart has built and sold a number of successful businesses, including a marketing agency and a product design company. Uh, he designed products and experiences for some of the world's biggest brands. And now he applies all of this experience and all of this design thinking alongside property development to create unique spaces that set new standards for urban living. His company, uh, that is which is called Coliving Spaces, has been at the forefront of the Coliving movement in the UK since a few years, inspiring many trends now popular in the shared living. Uh, I personally have seen Stuart often uh, live, so not just virtual. Um, he's a regular on the public speaking circuits where he also educates people on design, disruption and innovation within the property sector. And welcome Stuart, can we please have a virtual round of applause if possible, if you want to unmute yourself and just give thank Stuart you. an applause and thank you for being with us. Thank you Kate for the kind welcome, thank you. Can you hear me okay? Everybody yes, I laughing. can hear you fine. Brilliant. I'm just going to share my screen with you guys. So let me just make sure everything will work. Share my screen. And then I'm just going to move that into... Brilliant. Is that in full screen? Yes, I see two slides though. Oh, okay. How do I stop that? Um, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, it's, not me, it? it's not me, the technical lady. You need to ask the other two. Oh, no. Isn't it? <laughs> it's because I had this, these seconds. I have a solution. My, my friend, I have a solution. Can you click again on share screen? Uh, wait, go back out. Click on share screen. Yes, yeah, stop share. Yeah. And then there might be, uh, probably you can choose different sections, whether it's like this part or this part. You, you can see which. Oh, wait a minute. This is navigating. Okay. Tell you what I'm going to do. Give me one second. Sure, take your time. I'm going to re-put re my second screen back in. And then it will, it should come back out of that. Give me one second. We can assure you that we all tested this out like five minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And we didn't need to. If anyone has any questions while we're doing a bit of a setup, either for Chris and their super smart innovative locks or for Guy about Coliving, now is your time. You can unmute yourself and ask. I questions for Christian. And I was curious which uh, PMS uh, uh, systems that uh, they're integrated with. I mean, honestly, I would now always recommend to push for Rasamonix. And Giles is also here, so he can already uh, jump in. But I mean, in the co-living, I mean, if you consider PMS, and that I think is also a learning and something of recent concepts. Huh? So I mean, in the PMS world, you have definitely hundreds and thousands of PMSs. But if you really look into something which is also going more into the experience and end uh, guest part, there are only a few who can already uh, accommodate um, and actually provide a portfolio which also looks in that direction. And then Resumonics would be a good choice. But thank you. Thank you, Chris. Okay, Stuart, are you ready now? Are you seeing two screens or one? 
No, I only see one and a beautiful Perfect. photo of you. So there you go. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Right. Okay. Sorry for that. That's because I switched my screen monitors. I should have been changing tech. That's because I changed the tech minutes before. Shouldn't have done that. It's okay. Brilliant. Okay, guys. So, uh, yeah, obviously you covered some of the stuff on the intro. So thank you very much. That was very kind, Kate. Um, so, yeah, I come from a creative background. So I worked in creative and marketing agencies uh, for most of my life. And then what I did is um, I eventually started my own business. I built a design agency. I built that over about seven, eight years to about 15, 20 people. And then I sold that company. It was acquired. Uh, I then built a tech company, a product design company. Built that over about three, four years. And then I exited that. I'm still a shareholder. Um, and that's being built to sell. Uh, but I, I don't have any day-to-day -day role. I moved out into full-time about six years ago. So I've, I've, these are just some of the clients that I've designed products and experiences with. And the reason this is so important is because a lot of the principles that I apply now to co-living are exactly the same principles that I was working with these clients with. It's really, it's, it's exactly the same kind of thing. It's just I've moved across. So to show you how I pivoted, I came from the tech design and innovation world and I've pivoted across to real estate. And that was primarily because I was following a passion to move into property. You know, for about 10 years, I've been flipping properties, doing stuff on the side, adding value, learning about development. And then I realized that, I, you know, I had an opportunity to exit. And, you know, you don't get those opportunities every day in your life. So I kind of took the opportunity, exited out of the company and moved into property full time, which is about six years ago. That's when I set up my company, Co-Living Spaces. Now, Co-Living Spaces, um, and it's probably quite important to put the context here, I haven't created a real estate company. That's the really important thing. I've created an innovation company. I've done exactly the same as what I did in my previous businesses. I've created a highly creative innovation company and we happen to be operating in the real estate sector. And the first niche that we really gone into was co-living, which is what we did six years ago. So what makes us different? Well, our focus is on, the, on being creative, inventive, strategic, experimental, visionary, futurist, thinkers, disruptive, and playful. That is what we're about. That's what I've created. Actually, by focusing on creating something special, it changes the dynamic of what you're doing and what you're creating and, and what you're doing for the end user. So you can start to see how that kind of plays into our company when you look at our company structure. Innovation isn't something that we outsource. It isn't something you wouldn't see Apple outsourcing their creative and their innovation and their, 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 you know, their, their ideas. For us, everything is embedded in the center of the company because that is the differentiator for us. It's how we outperform the market. Now, this, key, this next slide I really wanted to share with you. This is a brand new slide that I haven't shared before. And this is about getting the balance right. And so many people kind of miss this. So on one hand, you can kind of see what we've done and you would see the highest rents on the market, the highest GDVs, you know, outperforming the market, the success. And that's fine. But we didn't get that by focusing on it. We, it's about getting the balance right. We got it by focusing on trying to do something special and improve people's lives. And that's exactly what we did in our original innovation companies and our tech companies. It was about a bigger purpose. This isn't just about money. The money and the wealth and the success is a side effect of doing something amazing. And that's, we have the ability within co-living to do amazing things and affect people's lives. And so some people, it's, it's important to see that balance because it's getting the balance of the two. And that's where your purpose, your mission, your values become so, so important. So after I think your talk last 
your last event that you did. Okay, I just added this slide in. So very quickly, our business model, firstly, it's not an asset-like model. We own all the assets. So right from the start, it was about capital appreciation and cash flow. So we own all of the assets. We work with investors on a fixed-term basis, which means they fund our projects and we recycle funds back out. We're focused on the professional market. We don't do students. We don't do anything else on that side. We're just niched into it. We're laser-focused onto the professional market. We do both development and community management. This is really important, and I'll share a slide about this later on. We're both the development co and the operations co. We, we do the full end-to-end of the customer experience. And finally, we provide portfolio building and training to other people as well. So this is where we did everything for ourselves, and now we help other people. So that leads on to kind of why I got into the market in the first place. So that's six years ago. I saw how the uh, local developers and old school kind of student HMO landlords and sources in my area were cutting corners and they had created such a bad reputation that we obviously in the UK have got the the HMO industry and it had such a bad reputation. And so many of my ex-employees were complaining about it. I decided that that was going to be the area that I was going to impact the most. And so at that point, we created a mission to drive change in the property sector using disruption and innovation. Now, six years ago, that was about promoting the co-living movement. So I think at the time, 2016, I think the collective was just, just, just about to launch onto the market. And that's at the point where we were saying, look, this is going to be the next big thing. You know, and it was early in their first two years, you know, on the public speaking circuit, most people thought it was a bit of a fad, didn't think there was much to it. And to be fair, you know, the, the, the market matured and it became about, well, what is co-living? What is the community? You know, what are the themes behind it? So, yeah, we've been in the trenches since, uh, since the beginning. And, um, and hopefully along the way, we've contributed to, um, through a lot of public speaking, um, helped kind of promote the movement in the UK and kind of drive this new way of thinking uh, to, to kind of improve people's lives. So we do commercial and large buildings into co-living, that's houses and large buildings, and uh, commercial conversions. We've got a chain of smart boutique hotels in Brighton, and also a lot of our sites, newer sites now, are built to rent. So this is where we're building from the ground up. We picked up a few awards on the way. Firstly, uh, we had the Property Investor of the Year Awards, which I think you really did to Kate, and HMO Deal of the Year in 2018, and then last year, uh, 2019 Property Developer of the Year. So that was primarily around our drive for innovation and change in the market. It was a, a recognition of, of the work that we had done for part of this wider mission. So when we talked about that balance, about getting the balance right for success and improving people's lives, it's got to be based on the purpose and the mission. So I wanted to flip this the other way now and just start talking about the problems that people might face. So firstly, the customer is changing. So we have products, we sell to customers, the customer's completely changing, we've got the subscription economy, you know, we've got social isolation and loneliness. The entire kind of landscape of, of the way that it was has changed along the way. And what has happened in the UK certainly is that the, the dated HMO industry has not kind of kept up with the technology uh, and, and the kind of social change that's happened around the customer. Now, co-living represents the kind of next generation of the professional shared living market in the UK. And that is very much driven by an emphasis on a new kind of product, 
that is community driven. This is a product that's specifically built from the ground up for the customer's needs. And that might be just around the space itself, it might be around the community or around the experience, because there's actually quite a broad spectrum of things that make up the definition of co-living. Is this what you say? Sorry, I know this is a question we discussed about before, but uh, I'm just going to ask it to you now. Is this, the, um, is this what you would define the difference between a co-living and a, let's say, traditional HMO? Well, it's, um, there's a few. I've got, I've got a slide in a sec. I'll bring it back up in a minute. I've got in Fantastic. two slides down from now. I've got a slide to go to you. I think we'll break that down for you. So this leads into it quite nicely. Because um, I think we talked about this. I, th I showed this to you, I think, before. So yeah. a co-living is not a HMO with a new badge. You cannot put a Ferrari badge on an old car and expect it to be a Ferrari. It won't be. So HMOs rebadged as co-living is not co-living. The essence of co-living is more than just the badge that is on there. So for us, the way that we break it down is three key parts to co-living. The first is the space. This is the space that we create and we can design it, we can create innovation in it, we can design it in mind for the customer, we can create amazing immersive spaces, we can build experience, everything else, we can make them functional, usable, everything else. But that is the space and it's the product. Then you have the community. This is where you're building the community around that. They live in the spaces, and they have the community and the community you have various interactions within the community to build that and, and, and how that can grow and third you have the experience now this isn't just community this is the entire end-to-end -end brand customer experience space community experience the reason i've put products and operations at the bottom there is because for a lot for a lot of kind of investors what they do is they create a product and they put it on the market but hopefully you can see from this illustration, if you're not doing the operations, if you have no handle on those operations, you are missing 70 to 80% of the entire customer journey. So when we talk about creating a community, that's why we created our own co-living agency, because there's no point me creating the best product in the market if I cannot create the best experience and the best community in the market. So this, is the essence of what we see co-living as. It's community-driven, it's experience-driven, and it's experiential in the space itself. So we're, provi we're providing this social lifestyle, the social lifestyle that the customer is asking for. So that's from the customer's perspective. Now, I know that many of the people on the call, uh, you know, in the Zoom call, are kind of investors and developers, um, and, and they want to understand a different side of this thing. So I'll just cover that very quickly. So firstly, you might be concerned that the market's too saturated. There's a lot of competition in your area. I can't get high enough GDVs. I can't make the values of the co-living scheme stack. My rental income's too low. It doesn't stack in my area. And there's too many competitors ahead of me. How do I keep up? You know, how do, how do I move? So, you know, they might be reasons that as investors, developers, that you, 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 know, you can't see how you can kind of enter the space. What if I told you that we were oversubscribed with waiting lists? We hit or exceed GDVs, and many of our projects are no many FDN deals. We recycle all of our funds, if not over 75%. We break rental ceilings repeatedly in all new areas that we move into, and we keep raising the bar. Since we entered the co-living kind of movement in 2016, every single year we continually raise the bar. How have we done that? 
Why do we all queue up for Apple? Why, do, why when they launch a new product, do we all queue up for it? Why, why you know, surely people could wait for them, but, we, but there's such a buzz around it. And we, you know, we all want the new products ourselves. Come down to one word, innovation. Innovation is absolutely key to everything that we're doing. Innovation drives us to create better products. Innovation makes us understand the customer and innovation creates an experience. Now, I'm not just saying this stuff. You know, the biggest brands in the world use innovation to create the best products in the market and give them the strategic edge in the market. Because remember, this isn't just, there's two sides to it. There's the customer side and then there's performance. Performance is getting the edge in the market. That's being, that's the, you know, that's business, that's strategic. And then, of course, you've got the customer. The two feed into each other. So three types of uh, innovation, just to give you a high level, just in case you're thinking it's just design. Firstly, you've got product innovation, which is just, you know, the product that you create is the physical product, the process, less sexy behind the scenes, and then the business model. I'll give you some examples. Product innovation, co-living is a perfect example. Co-working, apps, 3D, rend 3D rendering being used for immersive experiences. They're all products. You know, we can utilize them in all different ways. You know, the, the process innovation from modular construction, from the construction methods, the smart technology, we all have the ability to innovate. Innovation is at every single level in every part of the process. And maybe the business model. You know, last, you know, last month's speaker, was it Dan? I think talking about asset light. So, you know, his business model, there's innovation there because it's an asset light model. So we talked about the kind of the, the why, but we need to think about how we design these spaces, the co-living. So firstly, we need to rethink how we design. So I thought this diagram would illustrate it quite nicely. So interior design is the cherry. Now the cherry is really important. Cherry makes it look, look great. Cherry will sell, you know, will, will sell something for you. The innovation is the whole cake. I want to come up with new recipes. I want to try new ingredients. I want to mix things in new ways that no one else has mixed them to before. I want to market the product in, in new ways. I want to have the customer feedback to try new inventive ways that we can manufacture and create new kinds of production of the kind of the cake. So interior design is hugely important, but innovation is across the whole spectrum and you can apply it to all parts of the business. So there's huge, huge opportunity for everyone there. It all starts with understanding your customer. You've got to understand what your customer wants. You've got to understand the persona of your customer, who they are, you know, what they desire, where they're located. You know, I used to head up kind of, uh, we used to call them UX and CX teams. So user experience and customer experience teams. And we used to have data scientists and researchers and we do loads of uh, research studies. And ultimately, at the end of the day, you just need to speak to your customers. It's really, none of it's rocket science. Speak to your customers, understand what they want, look at the data, look for trends, and, and bring it into your products. That's all we're doing. We're continually innovating, continually researching, because you're always learning. We are all learning on the co-living journey. So a quick, quick quote for you. If I'd asked the public what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. That was Henry Ford. Interesting thing about that is the customer will not innovate for you. You need, to do the, you need to come up with the ideas. The customer will validate it for you. They'll say whether they like it or not, but they won't innovate for you. So we'll jump into some spaces now. I'll dive in and show you some spaces that we've got. Firstly, they're designed for sharing. This is a really important thing because I see a lot of people trying to recreate the family home. Co-living is specifically made for people that don't know each other, which means we need to purposefully create spaces that are designed for the flow of people. 
So just as retail works for the flow of people moving through a space, we create zones, we create various areas, create breakout bits. We design it specifically for the wider purpose of community experience and space. The next thing is facilities and services. Now these have changed. Now, you know, these are just some of the ones that we, that we use along the way, but we, we have super fast Wi-Fi as you'd expect. Um, you know, we have our ensuite rooms, luxury sleeping experiences, cinema rooms, co-working hubs. We have a housemates app, you know, so we have technology so that they can, they can report an issue or communicate. We've got community managers. So this whole experience, you know, is such an evolution from the traditional kind of HMO model, which was frankly less service-based. I mean, I also own a chain of hotels in Brighton. And what's really interesting about co-living is I see a transition between short stay and long stay and a real blurring of the, the two. In short stay, we're, we're all about the experience and the service. And actually what's happening with um, uh, co-living is we're, we're migrating towards the kind of like a, the service-based model. So there's a real blurring there. So on the spaces we create, the social spaces we create, there's a real emphasis on community spaces. This means that the areas that we create, are, you know, we, we spend a lot of time, probably 70% of our, our effort creating really immersive social spaces and you know we've evolved this over the last kind of six seven years that we've been doing this but you kind of get a sense of the, the kind of like the spaces that we create so we every single project for us is um it's not templated we freestyle stuff and we're experimental we're always trying new things we know exactly the best locations to put tables for flow of people we've experimented we've done feedback we've used cameras you know, uh, you know, so we've, we've tried, you know, we try kind of using different technologies. I mean, this particular picture here, this is from a project in 2016. You know, industrial in the HMO, uh, or, you know, some of the design trends was not even, that wasn't even a thing, but it was an experimental thing. We tried it in 2016. It was highly successful and it started to evolve into various things that, that would go on to become uh, some of the trends and various things that we would be promoting within the HMO market and yeah. the world of the market. Sorry if I interrupt you. Uh, I just have to say, you know, I know I already told you in some of your talks when you showed this one, but this is exactly what uh, I think I saw a photo somewhere in one of the HMO group or the property group. And I just thought like, who is this person that is thinking so much like out of the box and, and just recreating this sort of thing. And I was very impressed. And I remember it was many years ago. Yeah. So, yeah, so this, 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 you would have seen this, this, this was an early photo shoot. The reason I keep it in there is just because it was 2016, you know, and you think the thing about innovation is you've got to be willing to fail. You've yeah. got to be willing to fail. And, you know, we tried stuff and some of it may have failed, but we tried it and we innovated. Now, I, obviously, I come from a creative background, so it means that I can, I can take that experimental mindset into it. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I looked at the market, I spotted a niche, um, uh, people I didn't go to Pinterest, I didn't go to any of those places, I didn't go to an interior designer. We, we came up with a concept we, that, that, was, that was new and it, it, was, um, uh, it wasn't on the market. And we knew that that would give us a strategic edge. We knew that that would potentially be uh, very desirable to the customer. And then it's kind of snowballed from there. But ultimately, the reason I wanted to share all the types of innovation was because everyone can apply innovation to any part of the projects they're on. So this is a project in Central Hove, um, part of a cluster. We have a cluster, clusters of kind of um, co-living that we have. 
Um, this particular project, to give an example, went on the market within 24, less than 24 hours. We had over 50 people on our advanced priority list wanting to stay in this, in this property. We've never, we've never really had any voids there. This was one of the ones that won, I think uh, that was HMO Deal of the Year. I think that won an award. If, so you probably noticed that they, although every single one is very different, there's an underlying style to everything that's in there. Now, unlike interior design, which is all about different concepts and things, we have one product and we have an evolution of one product. So just as this is, uh, this is one of the social spaces, which is kind of somewhere between a co-working and a, and, and a, and a social space. But, but, you know, every single one is an evolution of product. What we're creating is um, we're creating a, kind of a mood, an attitude, a, 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 a style, you know, it's almost like our brand is, our brand is, 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 is why is the product is the brand. That's what we're creating. Some people said, you know, some, some of our spaces might be chalk or cheese to some people. And I was like, well, but, you know, I wanted to position our, our brand a bit like diesel, you know, diesel clothing for us is like, you know, there's, there is a, there is a style to it, or, you know, there's certain, you know, bands that would have like an edge. And so we wanted to create a brand that had an edge and it, our brand to the customer represents creativity. And that's part of why they buy into what we do. So um, one of the other things we did in the last few years is we started to listen to some of our customers about some feedback, some of our spaces. Almost two years ago now, we started integrating co-working into our spaces. So these, we started experimenting. We built booths in there. We started building co-working zones into it. We had really good feedback from the, uh, from the customers that were in there. Now, as you can imagine, going into CoLive, uh, sorry, as you going into COVID right now, these spaces are absolutely uh, valuable because what we had is because we have a lot of focus on all these various spaces. Now people can socially distance; they can work from home. It's adaptive to their new way of living. So these these spaces that we've created, which were experimental, remember this this was a prototype two years ago. This was a prototype. It took a year or so to experiment, and then we're gradually refining the concept. And then we do micro um, uh, co-working spaces and larger ones. We also have breakout spaces. This is where we basically take little nooks and crannies of a building, larger co-living developments, cluster flats, whatever, whatever they are, and we build these little zones in. And these zones are specifically to address the issue of the balance between privacy and social. Because as much as we're creating these amazing social spaces, we've got to remember people do also want breakout spaces and they want to break out with just their friends, collaborate with one person, or, their, or you know, their other half comes around. It's more than just social spaces. Social is important, but for us, breakout spaces are hugely important. So these, again, during COVID and the current, you know, the current climate, these have been a vital part of um, you know, why we get so oversubscribed. Then we move on to the private spaces. So this is obviously rooms, you know, so what we... What we do here is we, uh, we have three gradings of room. We have premium, medium, and, and, and low based on size. Most of our stuff is on suites. They're all very high grade, very spacious. Uh, they have workstations. They have a lot of the you know, materials that we would use, for example, in the other uh, properties. We use a lot of natural light in these developments. We build a lot of storage in. One thing we've been doing a lot recently, actually, is... Whatever amount of storage you think you need in, in a co-living bedroom, you probably want to double it. 
because I think we all underestimate that. If you look in the HMO world, you get one, one wardrobe, one chest of drawers, one bedside table. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried getting your entire contents into one wardrobe, one chest of drawers and one table, but I don't think it works. So what we do is we literally, on the op- opposite sides of the walls, is we just line up. We, I think usually we have two to three chests of drawers. We line them up and we use them as bases for TVs and things, and we really go to town on storage. You know, even at the expense sometimes of a desk, because if we've got co-working, we then don't need a desk. So we, we've listened to customer feedback and then we put more storage in along the way. So look at this. So we've got, this is one of our, this is medium-sized rooms now. So we drop down into the kind of like the medium-sized. These tend to be, so premium, 15 to 20 square meters. Mid-sized, about 12 to 15. So these ones here, these are all our kind of mid-tier ones. And then you've got your micro rooms. These are kind of about, these are sub 10 square meters. But you know, for the right, for the right people, they want affordable and they want city center. Often overlooked outdoor spaces. Now, number of landlords I see that chuck a couple of seats out there, job done, finished. There is a huge opportunity to extend what you're doing inside to create the experience outside. Because think about the space. This isn't just a space that's outside to get fresh air. There is space to eat together. There is space to socialize, to relax, and to have a barbecue. So we put barbecue zones in, we put seating zones in, we put eating zones in. The same thinking that we apply inside the building is applied to outside the building. And guess what? It's not that expensive to do it. It's just about planning and understanding how people use the space. So we talked about the spaces. Now we'll just focus on the experience side of things. So for us, Three key areas I just want to highlight on. There's more, but I just want to, for the sake of the talk, there's three key areas. Firstly, to build a community, we have community managers. So community managers are able to deal with issues. They deal with um, onboarding people, whether it's communication. There's a point of contact for all community-related communication between all the various properties. Secondly, we put on community events. And this is really important. This is where we're creating... This might, be, um, this might be pizza nights, this might be barbecues, this might be various kind of eating events, external events. We put on all these events that interconnect all of the communities. And then this one's really important. Interconnected communities is where we take all of our clusters of co-living and what we do is we, we, they are all connected so people can move around. But because, we, because we're isolated into Eastbourne, Worthing, Hove Brighton, We've got enough properties and sites that people can move within the community based on whether they want a garden, an outside space, whether they want roof terraces, whether they want a co-working, whether they want breakout spaces or other people who work in the tech industry or other people that are project managers. We can move them by interest or, or, or you know, or based on, you know, whether it's interest or, or um, facility. And so they can move like a membership across the whole of our community at the, you know, click of a switch very easily. So, quick quote for you. There's only one boss, the customer, and he can fire everybody in your company from the chairman down simply by spending his money somewhere else. Because ultimately, you're going to spend all this money creating a product, and if you don't get that right, you're going to be left with voids. So ultimately, the customer has the end, end decision. And this is why it's fine. If, so if the market's not moving and the customer's not changing, you don't have to do anything. But unfortunately, we are we're kind of in a market now where the customer's changing. So you need to flip it the other way around. So this is an opportunity. 
this is a huge opportunity if you kind of grab hold of it to kind of be at the forefront where you are able to tap into the changing customer need. Now, I thought a few people would want some numbers to see how some of this might all start to hang together. So here's a project we had. Um, business model-wise, this was a planning project. We do a mixture of PD and planning projects. This was a sewage generis project. It's got a planning uplift in there. It's a mixed use with upper floors. We do a fair few of them, which we're turning into an eight-bed co-living scheme. We purchased it for 215,000. Uh, refurbishment, circa 150. GDV, circa 650. Uh, we will recycle all of our money out. Gross rental, 57. Profit after cost, 20,000. I won't have infinite because there's no money left in. Uh, in, this is only at 70% loan to value. Interestingly, as soon as I hit the, uh, on this particular project, I could go to 125% recycling. But what I've decided to do is I've decided to recycle my money and then maximize the um, cash flow. So not try and over leverage it too much. Another example, this is a mi mixed use uh, with planning uplift. So it's commercial and residential building with upper floors, uh, which through planning, we created a five bed co-living, two bed flat and a retail office. Purchase at 190, refurb 200. GDV 650, cash recycle 125, gross rental 58,000, profit after all cost 20,000 per annum, and an infinite ROI. Now, what I would kind of say to you is like, how many of those, how many, how many, how many 20,000 pounds after all um, costs, you know, all management, all costs, everything else, how many of those do you need to replace your income and then to replace your partner's income and everything else? If you have the, the co-living does have the ability to completely transform your financial freedom. If the opportunity is there to create high performing assets that also improve people's lives. Here's a permitted development project. We do, we do probably about 60% PD projects because it's about de-risking. Don't want everything going through planning and that'd just be way too stressful. So two bed house into a six bed, thought I'd show a small one. Purchased at 372, refurb 110, GDV 600. Good example of a project, 75% recycling. You know, you know central, central Brighton and Hove, recycling 75% of our funds. Gross rental 51, profit after all costs, 24,000. That basically means about 2,000 net profit per, uh, sorry, per month after all costs. And a healthy 37% ROI. And for a non-planning gain project, uh, for not planning gain, for a non-commercial project, that's a really good return. Right, can I ask a question about this? Uh, yep. How can a small house into six bedroom with, without ah. giving windows and you know enough natural light to each room? Do all rooms have yeah. windows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but that particular one, it was a really badly laid out uh, two bed. Uh, two bed. I mean, you could, it could have been a three bed, but it was a bad, it was basically a probate. We had a we had a contact um, to get it off the market. Um, it was a probate. I mean, we we put two. See where the arrow is on the top. Yeah. So you've got two rooms at the top, and then you've got uh, three on the middle floor, pretty standard, you know, one at the front, one in the middle, one in the outrigger at the back. And then we've got one at the front, and then we've combined two at the bottom. So actually, we've got, um, we've got, we've got six good-sized good rooms. We've got two rooms in there that are circa nine square metres that are small, but all of the other ones are probably between 15 to 12 square metres. So, But to be fair, the ones that we've got that are uh, nine and a half square metres we, we, they're about £100 cheaper, so they're very cost-effective and they, they tend to be very popular. All right, and you didn't need planning for this because you were doing interiors, right? 
Uh, we didn't need planning permission for it. No, um, no, no, we didn't need planning permission. We, we didn't need planning permission. We checked about the L-shaped dormer. Um, you can't do it everywhere, but we were able to do it. Um, we didn't need planning permission. It's permitted development. Hove in Hove and Brighton is now blanket Article Four. So um, this was pre this was pre Article Four. We went on a bit of a buying spree over the last um, kind of uh, you know four or five years in Brighton and Hove because we knew Article Four was coming in, and now it's come in. <laughs> Uh, it's obviously harder. Uh, so, Stuart, sorry to interrupt you. Can you briefly explain what Article 4 is for anyone who is on our call and is actually not from the UK and they yeah, might so not know what it is? Thank you. Oh, cool. Okay, so basically in, in, the, um, in the UK, we, uh, so our existing shared little pitch, which I think I've mentioned earlier on, so one of the things that the um, uh, kind of council government have done is to restrict HMOs because, you know, for a lot of people, although we see the positives of shared living, there's a lot of people that don't see the positives because, you know, you've got a lot of people in cities and, and everyone wants houses and families want, families want houses and there can be some pressures there. So what they do is they bring in some selective license, uh, not selective license, they bring in Article 4 to restrict HMO development. Now, what that means is if you buy a property like that last one I shared you, that one there, if you were to buy this, what you'd have to do is you'd have to check the density of HMOs in the local area and you would need to check uh, with planning before you did it because ultimately it would go through a full planning application. There's no permitted development. You know, we, we did this with no, with no planning. But now, of course, with Article 4, this has restricted it. doesn't mean it's a no. It just means that you need to check that you meet all the criteria and you need to work with the planning consultant um, before you build it. So what was... What was more of a free-for-all to be able to buy a lot of stuff, uh, now it's, it's restricted. So, quick question here. That's all right. Um, innovation needs to be part of your culture. Um, customers are transforming faster than we are, and if we don't catch up, we're in trouble. So, they talked about earlier, the customer is changing. The pace at which this is changing is happening quite fast. And so, this is kind of highlighting why you need to be on the front foot with this. This isn't something you can ignore. Now, hopefully what I've done is I've flipped it the other way to show you there's an opportunity. Wherever there's a market that's in flux and it's changing, there's an opportunity. Now, you can decide whether or not you want to be a BlackBerry or whether you want to be an Apple. We all know what happened to BlackBerry. They didn't keep up. Technology changed. The customer requirement changed. New products on the market changed. Touch, software, everything. They did not adapt. And we all know what happened to them. Do you want to be a blockbuster or do you want to be a Netflix? You know, this is about, do you want to, you know, do you want to be left behind? You know, it's important to understand what's happening in the market so that you in your business can strategically be at the forefront. So you're at the cutting edge of it because that's where the big opportunities are. So right now in 2020 is the biggest opportunity in shared living for a decade. Because back in 2016, when we were promoting the co-living movement, we, there was the period where it was the innovators. And then it moved into the early adopters where it started to get pace and a lot of the problems started to get ironed out, understanding what you needed to do, how the market, the market matures. That early period has happened. We've proven the model, which means that we're at the early part of the curve on co-living and professional shared living. That means, and when you couple that with the fact that the next 18 months, given the economic kind of uh, outlook across the world, is the best buying time you're ever going to have. 
So now is the biggest opportunity you'll ever have in professional shared living for a decade. So what I've done across the 25 years that I've been kind of uh, working in innovation is I've taken everything that I've done in innovation, in product, creating the best products on the market, innovating to have the edge, creating the best experience on the market, and also creating a brand and marketing around it. I've put all of that into what I call the co-living blueprint. The co-living blueprint is the whole end-to-end -end model of everything that I've done I've achieved. Um, that is in this book, Co-Living by Design, is a book which I've been working on with some blood, sweat and tears for a long time now and is due to be released very soon. So the entire co-living blueprint, how you can outperform the market, how you can get the highest rents on the market, get the highest occupancies, get the highest valuations, create an amazing experience, create the best products that's out there and improve people's lives and get that whole blend of the, of the two of them. That is all within this book. So I, I appreciate that, that, that some people might think, well, that's, that's great, but I can't, you know, <laughs> the book's not out yet. And, you know, I could do with that information right now. So what I've done is I've created a gift for you. So this is a gift where there's no charge. This is free of charge. I've recorded it specially for you. So this is where I've created seven biggest co-living HMO secrets. How you gain my maximum advantage and market leading returns. These are nuggets, golden nuggets from the upcoming book. And what I've done is I've recorded a video series for you on every single one of those nuggets. And little 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 hints of chapter.co-livingspaces.co.uk slash gift. If you go there, that's it's a free gift from me to you to provide information. So if you want to know how to, to create the best products on the market, how to innovate, how to um, create an amazing customer experience, if you want to know how to get high GDVs, highest valuations, those nuggets um, will help you get there. And so that URL that's on there, if you follow that, every um, it will be sent out to you. So that's uh, that's me, Kate. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much for everything. We have so many questions now. It's like. Be ready. So uh, if anyone has a question that they want to ask right now, live, no, you're still sharing. So if we can have your face back, that would be nice. There you go. Okay. I think you're now kind of like back. Uh, yeah. So if anyone wants to intervene and ask a question live right now, otherwise I'm going to start to read the questions that we have because we have so many. Uh, I don't know. Guy, do you want to ask your question or do you want me to read it? Okay, I'm going to start then. So I, I'm going to try to go in order. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, can you hear me? Okay. Yes, okay. So I'm going to start to go in order and I, I, I hope I will be fine. So my question is, how will you be keeping the high quality in the brand you are creating right now during, uh, you know, the next years to come? So how, how will I be keeping the quality of the of the uh, product i missed i caught I, I missed the second half of that yeah sorry how will you be keeping the high quality in the brand you are creating right now but during the years to come oh during the years to come yeah 
Oh yeah. So um, yeah, well, we have um, one of the things we've done is uh, so we've got kind of like uh, contractors we use to kind of build out the projects. The actual all the internal fit out. we do in all of the project we have the tradesmen that do all the outs so we'd have them but you know we've got stuff going back to you know the one i showed you in 2016 um we did a very light refresh on that probably about six seven months ago put a small budget together but it, it pretty much it looks the same the same i just moved the tv location simply because we worked out a more optimum location for the tv move this move the sofa i paid a bit of money to move a few things around so yeah we, we've got an, i've got my own internal kind of um fit out teams keep costs down if, if, if we have to move you know reconfigure things and if fashion and trends change well you know because we because we've got the kind of the, the design and innovation in-house we can just we can spin out new new um new concepts if we need to Right. Uh, Sarah, do you want to ask a question? You want to open your mic and ask a question? Or do you want me to read it? Okay, I'll read it then. Uh, so Sarah is asking, what do you do about parking, about parking spaces? How many in yeah. an average six bed? <laughs> well, Brighton and Hove, that's not the easiest area for parking. So I don't think anything we've got in Brighton and Hove has got any parking. I've got stuff, I've got stuff in Eastbourne with some parking. Um, there just there just isn't there just isn't any I mean the the areas that we operate in Brighton and Hove um we've got stuff in Worthing stuff in Eastbourne I'll treat that separately for now but in Brighton and Hove with the stuff that we've got is in areas where there's no waiting list on the parking zones and you can get a parking voucher and the areas there's generally speaking you're pretty good for parking so we're not in areas which are so we're not in areas where you you couldn't get parking you will have to pay for a voucher from the from the council but we're not in areas with waiting lists and it's, they're not particularly expensive. So we don't tend to have a problem with that. Okay. Uh, then there is Olivier that is asking what ratio of residential to communal, Oh, what is it gone? Uh, what ratio of residential to communal space works the best in terms of achieving a balance between customer experience and GDV? Oh, um, well, we never, well, I think it's every building's completely different. Every building is different. And it, it, I guess when you're when you're laying out the building, there's a few things you need to do at the architectural stage. That's where you need to kind of make the deal stack. It's like well, you work out how many rooms you can get in there. You kind of roughly work out the deal, you know the, the deal itself. And so we kind of we're not really the design layer of it is um, is, is it comes later. We kind of have the architectural design that we do first. Um, and I kind of work quite closely with the architect. I've got all the CAD software and stuff, and we play around with things. But I think. Um, where I am, I think when you're replacing your income and you're early on in, the, in your, in your, in your uh, journey, should we say, you're probably going to compromise on the social space a little bit to make the deal stack and they might not stack as, as well. But gradually what happens is you go on and you start replacing your income and you, your partner's income and everything else. I mean, really, you, you, you start to move to a position where unless you can make something really nice and, and, and something amazing, then you, won't, you, know, you may not do the deal. If you know, I don't. I don't do deals anymore. If they're just, if it's just numbers, I, I, I don't do it. I, it has to be. I have to be. I have to be able to create the right sized rooms and the right experience in the space. Otherwise, it might not be right. But I appreciate that if you're early on in your journey, that you might want to. You can probably reduce some of those sizes. Um, but just be aware that if the market gets more competitive, smaller room sizes will be sticky. They'll take longer to rent. 
And if you start like, reducing your social space and not providing any soft seating or, uh, you know, it just, um, it might come back to bite you later. That's all. Good. Uh, so we're going back. I, I want to ask you a couple of things. Sorry, I have a lot of questions, so I'm trying to put all the topics. Yeah, together. far away. I'll, I'll try to so, keep them quite quick. Yeah, so obviously we are talking about how important the social spaces are in here. Yeah. And uh, how do you also integrate well-being and environmental sustainability into your product spatial design and operation? Um, well, we... Okay, so one of, the, one of the underpinning principles that we do in all the design... So I, hope, I don't know... I, I didn't have a slide on it actually, but what I do sometimes talk about it is there's a set of principles underneath all of the designs that we do. And it's a principle called biophilic design. Biophilic design is about trying to bring nature closer to this. So there's a lot of natural materials, a lot of natural light, a lot of use of, of, of nature within, within spaces. So there's a lot of thing, personalization within spaces. There's a lot of little kind of areas of thinking that we're bringing in to the process and at the architectural and the design stage to try and kind of like address that. And, you know, sometimes it's technology, sometimes it's, design, you know, it's, um, it's through, um, you know, biophilic. Um, but we're, all, we're, we're always trying to kind of like understand the latest thinking and kind of like bring that into it. Fantastic. Okay, I'm going to try. I apologize for, to everybody if I can't read every single one of your questions, but you had so many. So I'm jumping right. now into something else. So there is Paul who's asking, have you found the planners in your chosen area and have taken to your schemes? Have you got any tip on changing perception and introducing this type of concept in towns up north as the planners are quite close-minded to this? Um, which kind of like goes back to also one of my questions, which is, you know, you, you know, nowadays I think people and planners maybe understand co-living a little bit more, but you've been one of the first ones to understand the need of transactioning from you know, a traditional, let's say, HMO and multilet to something like that and to, to have just different design or anything. I mean, how, how does this transaction happen and how did you tackle this issue of the planning? Which might well, help Paul. It was, a, it was a slow, gradual process. And the way that I did it early on was I, I probably over six years ago on the first projects, I made a point of, of, of putting packs together for the council um, I was doing a lot of speaking. I mean, I remember once I managed to get I managed to get a feature into one of the planners' magazines. So I kind of stealthily went in to try and kind of. I thought I'd make create enough noise about the fact that look, I know I know what you, I know what you've had before, and you, you know this these, these dated HMOs that are giving it a bad reputation. That I appreciate what you know, and the student HMOs I appreciate why that has been so bad for so long. But there is a new there is a new approach that's happening here. Co-living is not the student party HMOs that, that were so prevalent in, in Brighton. Um, and so I think over the years, I've gradually got that kind of message out and the planners have gradually pushed me in, in several times. Your name keeps coming up several times and then you get slightly more positive responses. Um, in Brighton and Hove, there is some other factors because there is a housing shortage and a lot of families and it's, and it's a bit of a hotbed of, 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 of you know, expensive property. So there are some economic factors there also at play, but it was a gradual process where I made the point of sharing the wider mission of what we were doing and why we were doing it. All right, fantastic. Uh, a couple of things about the design. So yeah. uh, this is my question as well. I'm very curious to understand if you take inspiration from everything, from, from something. I mean, where do you take your inspiration? Um, 
on the design or if there is anyone that you, that you follow quite closely that inspires you. It doesn't need to be property related. You can tell me you are inspired by Picasso you, and it's fine. You know what, I've, um, I very deliberately, um, I, don't, I, don't go, I don't go near Pinterest. I've, um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm reasonably old school in so much as, um, you know, in my previous agencies, you know, and, you know, I was, although I was running the company, I was also creative director. And as my role in creative, as creative director was to oversee the kind of like creative, the ideation and design, but also in kind of, um, uh, kind of like uh, nurture the next generation of designers and researchers and everything else. And, you know, what we used to do back then was kind of what I do now, which is I get a pad, it's literally this. Pad, pen, <laughs> head, draw. That's it. That's, that's all I do. I just, I doodle. I doodle. I just kind of, I think what people, I'm glad you raised this question because I, I haven't got a slide on it. And it's what people lack is creative confidence because creativity is inside every single person. Now, you might not have the creative confidence to draw an entire sketch in with perspective and everything else or to, you know, create the entire interiors. But I guarantee you, every single one of you has creativity inside you. So you've got the ideas, you've got the inspiration in there. And I think that, you know, we maybe in our early parts of our life at schools and colleges, we, we would sketch and we would ideate. Um, obviously, I'm in an industry which continues that on a daily basis. But, and, and for many of you, that, that might not be something you regularly do. But how do, how do, I, how do I come up with the ideas? I literally, I just, I just um, think of something random, <laughs> sketch it. You know, like, for example, the shipping container, you know, yeah. like one day I was like, actually, you know, we, we, you know, I was thinking, could I get a shipping container into a, into a, into a co-living space? And I sketched it out and then I spoke to my team and I was, they were just kind of scratching their heads working out, how do we get that into there? And then I kind of spent the next, um, I refused to be beaten on it and I, re I tried to spend the next week trying to work out how to build it. And I actually, you know, that to be honest, um, you know, you've got, the, you've got the money side of things, you've got the financial, that, that part of it, but to be honest, most of the joy and the enjoyment that I get out of the projects is on the creative side because yeah. I get to I get to do things experimental. You know, I get to get to try new things. I guess my underlying message to that is everybody has creativity. It's just they may not lack the maximum creative confidence. And you know, if if I can impart that on people, I can inspire people to become a bit more creative and feel a bit more confident that actually, yeah, I can sketch something out and actually that might be a good idea. And yeah, maybe I will try that. That's uh, that's really good. Uh, with regard to that, you know, like uh, you obviously, you know, you have uh, this innovative and superb and, and, and particular and, uh, and, you know, innovative really is the word. Um, how do you think, Dan is asking this question. So how do you, how important do you think this is? So these elements are compared to the elements of co-living as in such a cost community and customer experience. And if you had the limited budget, where would you spend it the most interior technology or community? Oh, interesting. Well, one of the things that you didn't see uh, maybe in some of the photos, because I, I didn't break it down enough was, that within all the photos that I showed you, you probably noticed they were, they were all similar, they look related. What you probably didn't see was that some of them, what I call um, A grade and B grade. So there's some stuff there that was, a, was a, as in from a refurbishment perspective, it was a budget version. Now you probably didn't notice it because I've blended, I've done some clever things so that it kind of looks very similar. So depending on where I am, so if I'm in Brighton and Hope, for example, I can spend a bit more. If I'm, you know, over in Eastbourne or Worthing, I can't spend as much. So 
it really depends you know although although you know you might look at some of the stuff that we've done and then think oh actually they're big expensive refurbishments they're, they're not always there there is um you can every every time you work on a project you get better at doing it and then you drive the cost down and you get more efficient so you know um you can do things on a budget this is more this is more about understanding the customer you know so how how would i spend if i was on a limited budget i always create a great product because remember take a step back what is it we're actually looking to do here we're looking to create a product and we're going to we're going to put it on the market and we're going to sell it to a customer and when you sell it to the customer they're going to move into the product that means that they're going to experience the product but what's the experience going to be afterwards so it's still the same principles yes. so where would i blend it i would i i i would never i would never i would never create a product at the expense for example of the experience i think if anything i would everything comes back to the deal the numbers is how does it stack and you, you, you make it stack. I see. Uh, so we have, uh, we have you for a few more minutes before we're going to the breakout room where we will be able to network a little bit longer. And I do remember, are you staying for the oh. breakout rooms as well? Yes, yes, yeah. Yes, yeah, okay, yeah. fantastic. So I'll ask you a couple of more questions. I'm switching back more into community. Uh, I'm, I will send out your details so anyone, I guess, they are free to reach out to you as well and to ask you more detailed question there's a lot of question about plannings about design yeah i saw a question about is co-living applicable to other segments beyond younger professionals yes, i was um, getting i was yeah, getting there is. That, exactly. yeah there is yes. you can apply it. look i mean i just i just i just found a niche that my my ex-employees and my previous companies complained about shared living in brighton and hove and the surrounding areas that's the niche i went into does it work to other areas yes it does you know, you can apply co-living to any principles. Remember, the underlying principle here is not just the niche. The underlying principle is you're creating a product, you have a customer, and then there's an experience. If you don't get all of those parts right, you're either going to not rent, you're going to get voids, and then people are going to leave. So Absolutely. you need to... You do job on the principle of that plant. Um, I saw one on planning, planning and sewage generis de developments. What were the key points we had to consider for this? Um, on sewage generis, um, one thing I just quickly add on sewage generis. So sewage generis in the UK means that you, you can uh, put planning application in a larger kind of um, co-living development, more than six people, seven, seven or more. And, you know, this still goes under the planning class of HMO. So even though I know we use the word HMO and, and co-living together, but it's only because legally and from a planning perspective in the UK, it's all under the remit of HMO. But the product we're creating is, is co-living. But yeah, is there any other kind of like um, uh, considerations or key points? Well, you know, we had a fallback plan. We knew that we had a, another development that we could have done with the buildings or the you know, various buildings. And then what we do is we put a secondary planning application to do a larger kind of sewer generis one of the reasons sewage generis is quite popular um, that create a commercial valuation so um, my view on commercial valuations is that they should only be really used on um, mixed use and larger sewage generis i don't agree that they should be used on standard five and six bed houses wherever they are in the country i think that's i think that's just going into negative equity i'm not really keen on that but i do think that where you're larger sewage generis um then you can get a uh, significant um, planning uplift, as I showed on those two commercial conversions earlier. Um, I'm going back, as I was saying, a little bit to community. Can you hear me? Yes? Yep. 
Yeah, fantastic. Just a couple of questions. One is from Guy. Uh, his question was, do you think that manager with regard to community and community manager is the right term for the job? Uh, to put it into perspective, is the job to manage the community or rather to facilitate it and to catalyze? You know the question. It is. It is. It wait, wait, wait. One second. On one second. In another yeah. question. With regard to this, what have you changed in your community building approach since you have started? Because the two things might be related. Oh, okay. So, um, yeah, I do agree. The label community manager is just a label. Um, I do. It's probably a facilitator. I think, you know, they're more facilitating. I think the important thing that came out of a lot of events that I spoke at recently is that with co-living co community, it's got to be bottom-up, not top-down. If you expect people to do things top-down, you're forcing the community. At the end of the day, we've got to facilitate the community. We've got to, we've got to nurture the community. And it's got to be a bottom-up approach. So, yeah, community managers, community facilitators, um, that is just a label. I, I think you're right. I think that could do with some definition around what, what that is. Very much for us, it's about having someone that is that their remit is a wider remit than just um, management. Management is a technical process end to end. It's not really focused on the customer touch points and the customer experience or the wider um, uh, kind of needs of, of of what you'd want beyond just living in a house, let alone just the community part. So what you know, what what have we changed since we started? When we first started, we were kind of learning about the legislation, what was what was required on a management perspective, you know, just learning about the, the legal and um, compliance side of, 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 of kind of like management. And I think what's changed so much now is probably our focus on technology, integrated app technology, so that everyone can kind of communicate for events, for, for reporting problems. So we're really utilizing a lot of technology more than we were doing many years ago. And also the events side, you know, we're we're finding certain types of events and certain types of community interactions are more create more engagement than others and i think gradually across, along the line you kind of work out what works and what doesn't work and ultimately um it's led by the customer because it's the same thing the customer um in their definition of what they want um, they don't want a big brother hanging over them you know to, to manage this community they want to feel like they're empowered and they've got this autonomy uh, but but why things work so i think what we've learned is a lot from them and that's how we've adapted it.